smile, but I don't know if that's the military background or whatever else, but uh, now uh, he, he is a really joyful person, and he's really looking forward to being here, and he's arranged his schedule, moved things around just to come and do this Seder for us. Some people say, why are we doing it a little, even a little closer, because uh, Passover's in April. Well, he's booked the entire month of April, so if we were going to have him, this is our opportunity, and a Wednesday he can do, he's usually tied up uh, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with uh, with his own ministry there in Charlotte, North Carolina. So we're glad to have it. And we only have a few seats left. So if you want to uh, sign up, please do so today. Uh, I think Pastor Trevor wrote 95 people or something like that. We have 112 total that we can do in here. And we also uh, need a few volunteers to show up early that day around you know 4.30 or 5 to help with all the final setup. So if you're able to um, come early, if you can let the can you guys at the information booth take anybody, uh, Derek and company, uh, after the service? You can go to the information booth and say, hey, I want to help with the early Passover Seder setup. It's not way early, like 4.30 or 5 or something like that. Uh, or you can send a note to questions at calvarychapelrva.com. Or you can see Pastor Trevor. He's the big guy with the plaid shirt that was up here uh, reemphasizing the time and all that. So uh, all those three options, but the info booth. Questions at CalvaryChapelRVA.com or see Pastor Trevor, and we will make sure we leverage your help uh, to make sure everything's set up. Uh, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after will be Ministry Sunday, so if you uh, would like to start to serve in some capacity, whether it's parking lot or uh, ushers or children's ministry, or maybe you have a great voice uh, and you want to start to be part of the worship team, a lot of different ways to serve. Uh, we'll have a... Uh, opportunity next Sunday to kind of learn about all the different ministries. We'll hopefully have some decent weather so we can do it outside if we're able to, uh, but we'll do it inside if we need to. But that'll be not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. No prep on your part, just come and, and um, you know, I'll be sharing a message that will relate to that Sunday. And as I mentioned last week, so we have some close to final details. Uh, we had a short meeting after the first service. I will say that Israel is already two-fifths filled up after the first service. We had close to 20 people. We have 50 seats for uh, our trip to Israel in February of 2024. I will forewarn, if you go, you'll miss the Super Bowl and Valentine's Day, because it's the 4th through the 15th. But if you don't care about that, uh, and uh, apparently the first service, 20 or so people did not care about that. So that will be um, we will only have 50 seats that we can do, at least as of now. I mean, unless something changes, but uh, as it stands, the bus that they have for us. And I can give all the details of that, but if you're interested in, uh, we, we're likely doing the Guatemala trip near the end of July. Um, that's more than likely where we'll be headed for that. Um, and then Italy is an opportunity. Uh, and by the way, these are Calvary chapels. We have Calvary Chapel, uh, Turin, Italy. Calvary Chapel La Esperanza in Guatemala, uh, Calvary Chapel there in Uganda, which has, actually has, in Uganda, they have the orphanage plus the school. In Guatemala, they have the, the school. They don't have an orphanage, but they do have a school that has grown tremendously. I think they're up to like eighth grade or so now and um, just continues to be a tremendous uh, you know, reaching out opportunity for the community there in uh, Shela or Quetzaltenango uh, in uh, Guatemala. Um, Italy, it's amazing what God is doing there as well. I mean, a country that the, the Apostle Paul and other believers planted the church 2,000 years ago, and now it, it's coming back. Uh, uh, David, Pastor David was telling me they have, like, they have seven college-age Italian girls that, that take the one-hour train from Milan down to Turin, 
every single Sunday, college-age girls in another country that is not following Jesus, uh, and they will take the one-hour train to come and hear God's Word taught verse by verse, all the way from Milan down an hour. And so anyone that goes on that team, you'll get to meet some of these people and what God is doing. And he had zero deacons. He's up to almost, he'll have six or seven very soon. Italian men and women coming to faith. And so Guatemala, what God's done there, just unbelievable. So, And then Uganda. We, I didn't think we would have anybody bite on that, but we had like five people in the first service that want to go to Uganda. And that is a marathon trip if you want to go pull that one off. But um, if you're interested in any of these international opportunities, can you, after the service, go to this side of the sanctuary, of the cross area, and I will be able to share the details, the cost, and... Um, and then we can kind of go from there. So we're looking forward to what God's doing. There's kind of some pent-up demand post-pandemic. Uh, we didn't do any trips for a couple of years, and people were like, well, do I have to have papers? Do I have to be vaccinated? I mean, you know, all this stuff, are they going to let me in? Um, I don't want to be on a plane with a bunch of sick people. Every reason you can think of, but all those are th things are opening up, and so um, some great opportunities. And, and they're all about either learning about the Lord or going and being His hands and feet to serve. So uh, we're excited about all of these opportunities. And then some sad news this week. As you guys know, our worship leader, Tawan, has taken the first quarter off to rest his voice, but also just to be available to his parents and family. Uh, he did not, he, we thought his dad would live quite a bit longer, uh, but just things kind of uh, took a turn downward over the last uh, couple of weeks, and his dad passed away on Wednesday. And while we were in the service, uh, Tawan texted myself and Pastor Trevor. And so he's over at um, his father's. Church Gates of Faith Ministry uh, in Richmond. Uh, Kyle, his brother there with the with the brown vest, is uh, teaching today. Um, you know, I've met Alfred many times over the years. Tawan's been here like 13, 14 years with us, and I've met his father many times. A good man, and I know he's home with the Lord, same Lord and Savior. And so, uh, be praying for the Nicholson family. Uh, they're all over there today, and there'll be a service at the end of this month. Uh, still, place to be determined. Um, but uh, I know you guys have been praying for them, and uh, this is a difficult, a big loss for their family. He's a, a, a true patriarch uh, in their family, so uh, I know that he'll be missed. And So keep, uh, keep them in your prayers. And uh, with that, we want to continue to be praying uh, as we are for our country. Um, man, I, I love uh, the country that we're born in. I'm, I'm thankful for how God has used this country, but it saddens me, and I'm sure it does many of you, to see uh, how far away our country is from the Lord. Uh, I was telling the first service, and uh, well, you know, in Nehemiah, when Nehemiah heard about the, he heard about the condition of Jerusalem and that it lied in ruins. He wept and he just fell on his face and wept and fasted. And our country, although some of it is starting to, <laughs> some of it's looking like physical ruins, but our ruins, like if you go to Washington D.C., the Capitol building is still beautiful. Just the Washington Monument. I grew up in the D.C. Beltway area, and I mean, the, the building, the Capitol building is beautiful. The White House is you know, just magnificent. All these things. But the decay of our country morally. I mean, New York City's skyline is still amazing. Las Vegas has all the bright lights. But beneath all that is a nation that has just gone further and farther away from the Lord. And beneath all that is people that are addicted and dying of fentanyl and street crimes and murders and uh, subways are unsafe and all these different things. And, and that's not including all the immorality and the idolatry. And, uh, and we can only see the tip of the iceberg. God sees the hearts of everything. And so that's why we've been praying for revival 
for a long time, it's not going to happen at the ballot box. I'm not saying you shouldn't use your vote wisely. You should. We should all use our vote wisely. We should do as much as we possibly can to be lights and witnesses and to be salt and light. But those things in and of themselves won't do it. It has to be the Lord. Amen? It has to be God opening eyes, softening hearts. And so that's what we've been doing uh, for over a decade. And ever since the pandemic, we started getting on our knees. And even though the pandemic may be over, and I, I don't know what that means, uh, but um, uh, we still have been getting on our knees because we still need a spiritual renewal, even more than physical healing and those, those kind of things. So it's a little tight in the 1045 service, I know, but if you're able to or desire to get on your knees with us for about 45 seconds of silence, you're welcome to do so. If you're not comfortable with that or you have bad knees or your doctor says don't ever do that, uh, then just stay right where you're at and pray silently with us. Uh, there's no mandate. It's just if something you would want to do, you're certainly welcome to do it. And uh, we're going to pray together and seek the Lord and just his help for our country. And we're praying for the nation, one nation every week, the nation of Bolivia today down in South America. Let's pray. Father, we, we recognize, we, we know, Lord, that uh, we cannot change another person. We can't change another heart. We can't change our state government or our local government. We can't change uh, the affairs of men. We can't change the course of this country in and of ourselves. But, Lord, we know that you can. You cause kingdoms to rise and fall. Lord, you hold the thrones of the world in your hand, Lord. You can melt a heart. You can bring the, the conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And Lord, across this country, we have millions that are in darkness, whether they're in New Orleans or Miami or Dallas or Houston or uh, Seattle or Los Angeles or New York or Chicago at all points in between the small towns. Lord, we have millions that have heard your name but don't know you personally. We have many people who have been to church but they've never been changed. We have people that even go to church, and they still aren't changed. Lord, we have just a, a nation, Lord, that knows about you, but so many still resist you, rebel against you. Lord, we have uh, just an escalation of depression and anxiety and drug use and sexual immorality and confusion and, Lord, all kinds of perversion and all the things that we see, Lord, uh, and that's just things that we can see. We can't even see the secret things that sometimes come out and Lord, uh, you know just how far away we are. And Lord, I know that uh, you've been gracious. You have stayed judgment. We deserve as a nation to be judged by now. But Lord, you've been gracious. And we pray, Father, just as you were gracious to those of us who have been born again and have come to you by faith, that you would stay your hand. And Lord, that you would open up the eyes of those that are in darkness. That you would uh, equip uh, churches. And, and, and uh, Lord, just the power of the gospel would go forth. There would be an awakening of the lukewarm church, and Lord, we would see 
many disciples made, many people come to faith. Lord, in the highest offices to the people with, that are nameless or faceless, Lord, that many will come to Christ. We thank you for what you are doing, but Lord, we pray that there would be a genuine outpouring of revival and repentance and awakening in our nation and in the church. And Lord, we pray for the nation of Bolivia this morning. We know that you desire to see that nation have the same work of the Spirit that we're praying for for our own country and, and in fact all the nations. Lord, I pray for the persecuted brothers and sisters. Those are in North Korea and in Iran and in parts of Africa and parts of Southeast Asia. The believers that are uh, Lord, persecuted in China, Lord, so many in the, in, in the communist nation of China. Lord, but around the world we lift our brothers and sisters up. May you touch them, heal them, deliver them and comfort them. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, who can change lives and all these situations, in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying with us. I've talked about how in the old days, and there may be some churches in Richmond that still have it, maybe they just never renovated, how they have the fold-down knee pad things. You ever seen those? Uh, and I was talking to Pastor Trevor this week. Um, when I was a kid and would go to church, there was no AV team. There was no screen. You pulled out a book, and it was called a hymnal. And it was on the front, uh, they were right behind this pew. There wasn't, there wasn't any kind of, there was a pew, and there was a hymnal, and there was a little golf pencil beside it with a place for two little communion cups and a little thing for uh, offering or visitor. And all that was, and as a kid, I memorized all of it. I was like, there's the golf pencil, there's that. There's. I would draw pictures on the back of the envelope thing. I would study the hymns and just because it was something to read because I wasn't really listening to whatever was going on. Do you guys remember all that stuff? And so I said, one day we're going to surprise you all. And we're going to have hymnals for fun, and we're going to do a throat. Yeah, and you're going to look, and there's going to be a hymnal there, not forever, but I said, I bet we could find them at Goodwill. I bet they've just given them away. I bet you nobody wants these things. And I'm like, we might do it, because you'd like to do some hymns. Do it. We might actually one day surprise us. So don't be surprised if one day you look under your seat and there's a hymnal, and it's like from 1920, and we found, we found it somewhere. I don't know where we'll find them. I'm sure they're out there, so... Uh, those of you that are bargain hunters, I'm, I'm sure I'll start getting texts and emails. I found them already. You know, <laughs> feel free. Let me know. If you find them, we, we, might, we might just do something like a throwback at time. Because I, 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 my point is, I think sometimes we can learn from the past. Sometimes everything's got to be all brand spanking new and everything's better and it's not always better. All our ideas in the last 20 years in America are not better ideas for the most part. I wish we could go back to no smartphones and all this other stuff and life. But anyway, I digress. That's not my message. Turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We'll finish the book of John today. Then I don't even, I don't even remember when we started it. I'm sure it's in my laptop and my files so I could figure it out, but I don't remember off the top of my head. The older I get, I can't remember what last week was. Uh, but uh, we're, we're bringing down uh, the home stretch here, and we're going to finish it today. Um, and where we'll head after this, I've got a couple of books in mind. I, I, I will know in the next two weeks, because I've got a topical message next week, and then one ministry Sunday, and then we'll either, I'll either do a short prophecy series or start the other study, uh, or start the other study, then do a short prophecy series. Um, so however the Lord leads. But um, we're going to finish John today. And so if your Bibles are open, if I know these guys were in the aisles. If you saw them holding up Bibles, they were just trying to get you ready in case uh, you needed a Bible. But if you still need one and you didn't uh, raise your hand, you can raise your hand now, and they will put one in your hand. 
We'll pick up with where we left off. Uh, we finished through verse 17 of chapter 21. So pick it up with me with uh, verse 18, and we'll read verses 18 through 25. Jesus speaking in verse 18, he's speaking to Peter here. So he's speaking to Peter. Remember the whole conversation from last week? Jesus and Peter were dialoguing about, do you love me and feed my sheep? Pick it up with verse 18. Jesus speaking to Peter says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself, and you walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spake, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one that betrays you? Peter, seeing him, him being John, so Peter sees John, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? But Jesus said to him, If I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? Jesus can be really direct with his students, can't he? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that his disciples, that this disciple would not die. But Je yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I uh, will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which, if they were written one by one, I suppose that not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written, amen, or total agreement, or it is settled, all of that. Father, we thank you again for your word, which is magnified and already glorified. And Lord, we pray as we open your word, that these timeless truths, these, these eternal truths, Lord, would penetrate our hearts. We pray for soft hearts, open ears. Lord, that we would come ready not just to hear and to learn, but to apply, that we would be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. That we would be those that delight to do your will. And Lord, and we pray that uh, you would do a work among us and those that are watching online, Lord, that uh, would transform us and lord that you would grow us and mature us as disciples lord and if anyone here is not yet a follower of christ today would be the day that they put their faith and trust in you i pray for your anointing and your help and your strength i could never do this without you i would never want to do it without you and i wouldn't even be here if you didn't put me here and give me the desire lord even to preach your words i pray for your help and lord uh, all of us would grow in your grace in jesus name we pray amen Jesus, remember, he has just spoken to Peter in the presence of the other disciples. I'm going back to last week for a second. So take yourself back to last week, which is not just last week. It's verses um, 15 all the way through 17. But take, go, going back to last week, Jesus had just in the presence of his disciples said on three consecutive times, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? The first two times, remember, Jesus used the word agapeo, that deep sacrificial love that describes how God loves us. Peter, remember, answering those first two times, said, Lord, you know I phileo you. I like you a lot. I'm fond of you. We're friends. I love you as a friend. But remember, Peter was really cautious. 
And he was cautious to say with conviction, I love you, agape, sacrificial love. I can understand that. Have you ever wondered about yourself, said, do I really love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do I really love God sacrificially? I don't think any of us could say that perfectly, right? So it's one of those things you can kind of understand where Peter is on this. But yet, Jesus knew Peter's heart. Jesus clearly knew that Peter had a sincere desire to love Jesus with all that he had. You ever, let me see if this helps understand that concept. You ever invited someone and, and, hey, I'd love us to get together, and you can tell that they desperately want to get together, but they really do have a conflict they can't get out of. And then you've invited someone, you can tell they have no real interest. And both are saying the same answer. Uh, I would, but I've got this conflict. But you're able to decipher this person truly, if they could get out of the conflict, they want to spend time. The other person like, I'm glad I have a conflict because I really don't want to do this with you. Right? So Jesus can see the sincere heart, and he knew that Peter had a sincere desire to love Jesus with all that he had. And even, I'd say, a resolve in Peter to obey Jesus. Even if you are not 100% obedient, nobody ever has been, the Lord knows if you are desiring to be 100% obedient and walking in that way. And yet, just like us, Peter, even though he would desire to love Jesus, even though he would desire to fully obey him, he would desperately need the Lord's help to actually obey. He'd need the Lord's help. As F.B. Meyer used to say, Peter was willing to be willing. You have to be willing to be, Lord, I'm willing to be willing, to whatever that means. And so the Lord's response to uh, each of Peter's responses, remember Peter would say, I phileo you, I phileo you, and Jesus said, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. They were not only commands to be followed, but they were a recommission to be accepted, to be embraced. But it was also Jesus giving Peter the confidence that A, Jesus was giving Peter such a great responsibility. Wow, Jesus has given me that kind of responsibility to feed his sheep, to tend his lambs. And number, or B, that he would help Peter actually accomplish such a big responsibility. So it's one thing Jesus, Jesus to give him that responsibility, but how am I going to even fulfill this? Jesus says, not only will I tell you to do it, I'll help you do it. But Peter's recommission, his being reestablished by Jesus as an under-shepherd, his restoration as an apostle to now go forward with the net of the gospel in one hand and with the staff of a shepherd in another hand, was just the first part of their conversation. An incredibly important and affirming part of that, to be sure. But there was a second part of the conversation, which we just read, picking up with verse 18. And I don't know how long of a gap or a pause there is between verse 17. Verse 17 finishes, feed my sheep. Look back in your Bible. I didn't read that this morning. That was from last week. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Then we have verse 18. I don't know how long of a gap there is if it's just the normal breath you might take between one sentence and starting another sentence. Or if there was a pronounced pregnant pause there before Jesus says the next two words, most assuredly 
But what Jesus says next is an immediate, I mean an immediate test of Peter's faith and obedience. And what Jesus lays out before Peter, how he addresses the life that remains for Peter's good friend John. And finally, we have John's conclusion here of his eyewitness account that began 21 chapters earlier. But we see very clearly that Jesus determines the path for each and every sheep. No matter all of us in here are different, we're all born on different... Well, some of you are born on the same day. Montel and Trevor are born on the same day. But you're in L.A., he was in Annapolis, Maryland, so far away. And, uh, different places, different parents, different moments, different exact seconds. All of us are different sheep. But there's a plan and a path that Jesus has for each and, and each and every sheep. And some of our paths are together. Me and my wife, we've been put together. We helped her find her keys this morning, too, so that was good. Uh, but... Um, and, the risen, and, and, and we know that the risen life of Jesus, it remains a perpetual call to any and all sheep that are still lost, that have not come into the fold. And that's been written here in God's Word. And so all of this is under God's desire. He's not willing that any should perish, but he also has a will and a plan for those that belong to him. So if you see the title this morning, if you're taking notes, the will and witness of Jesus. And yes, it was the will of Peter to be saved, but it was also Jesus had a will for the rest of Peter's life, not just for his salvation, his dropping the nets to follow Jesus, but all the way to the end of his life. He has a will and a path for him, and he has a will and a path for John, which we'll see that at the end of this message as well. But I began 2023, so uh, here we are. We're in March now. We're cruising through March I began 2023 with a New Year's Day message. Remember, New Year's Day was on a Sunday this year. It was the first day of the week, first day of the month, first day of the year was all Sunday, January 1 this year. And I began New Year's Day with a, with a message titled, If the Lord Wills. And uh, it's out on our website, uh, archived there. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, you can go out and hear it. And it, it kind of uh, certainly has connection to what we're lo looking at this morning. But the central focus of that message on New Year's Day being that our lives are led by the will of Jesus. If you're born again, it's no longer your will, right? You, you died to your will. You might have had big dreams, say, I, I want to be the richest person on earth. I don't think anybody here has that desire, but you, maybe you did. But you died to the will of your own, and now we live not just our life, but this month and next month and what are we going to do uh, with this situation? It's under the will of Jesus, which is laid out in his word. Where do we find his will? In his word. And it's to be yielded to him, and, and it's by his spirit that we have the word of God and the spirit of God that leads our steps. He changes our plans. He reprioritizes our lives. I've told you many times, before I was saved, living in South Florida, going to college, Going to church on Sunday was not part of my priority list. Beach volleyball was. Going surfing was. Sleeping in was. Recovering from a hangover was. All of those were part of my Sunday plans pre... But then I get saved, and then the will of God takes over and says, this is your new calendar. This is your new priority list. This is the things that I want you to do. But all of that, is under the will of God. And uh, he allows setbacks. He allows rerouting as he sees fits. Any of you ever been, have you ever been rerouted by the Lord? Like you thought, 
this was the plan, and then a year later you realize nothing, you weren't even in the right ballpark. And the Lord did that with Peter. It wasn't, it wasn't God's sovereign will for Peter. Um, understand, God didn't want Peter to sin and deny Jesus. God doesn't tempt us and cause us to sin. And yet it was in the permissive will of God. You understand the sovereign will versus the permissive will. The sovereign will, God says, Nebuchadnezzar, out. Medo-Persian, in, right? That, or whatever. I know that came later with Belshazzar, but you get the point. The Babylonian, out. God says, all right, that's the sovereign will of God. But then you have the permissive will of God. It was under the permissive will of God to allow Peter to foolishly brag, I would never deny you. And then later that night, three times before the rooster crows, a, st- a big stumble and a massive fall. But it was absolutely in the sovereign will of God and the sovereign will of Jesus, and the foreknowledge of Jesus. We know that because he told Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. So we know it's in the sovereign will of God that he would use Peter's failure and his three times denying because Jesus knew he was going to do it, and he would use that to help Peter mature and to grow and actually re-accept the commission that he was given at the outset when he said, come and follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And that stumble and fall, when Jesus put him back and restored him, would help Peter to grow in faith and love and his commitment to Christ. Which is really good news for us, that God can take and will take our failures if we have a repentant heart and use our failures and our mistakes actually to mature us and grow us. And we have something to learn. And we don't say to everybody else, y'all should do it too so you learn. No, no, we try and tell our kids that, no, no, you don't want to go this route. Do this. But nevertheless, God will use their failures as well if they have a repentant heart and a soft heart and a teachable heart. And that's under the will of God, too, that he'll use even our failures. But here in this transition between verse 17 and verse 18, none of us know precisely what's on Peter's mind, but I can can imagine that all at the same time, Peter is still really humbled that Jesus loves him so much. And also that Jesus has given him this great responsibility. Imagine Jesus giving you a great responsibility. And and, as a matter of fact, all the responsibilities we've given are greater than we think. If he has you teaching toddlers, it's a great responsibility because those are souls. Every one of their little souls is worth more than the entire planet. So it is a great responsibility. But he's given him that, and he's humbled by that, the love and also the responsibility. He might be wondering how or if he'll ever get to the point where Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter can say, I agape you. Will he ever get to that point? You might wonder yourself, will I ever get to that point? How he might feel unworthy and unqualified, and that is a really good thing. I would much rather work with people that think they're unworthy and unqualified than work with people who think they are supremely qualified. Because if they think they're unworthy and unqualified, then humility leads their walk as opposed to pride. Amen. And Peter's like, I don't, I, Lord, I'm not worthy of this. And Jesus, that I can work with. But as Jesus moves to the second phase of this conversation, phase one is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That's part one of the conversation. But as he moves to the second part of this conversation, talking to Peter about his go forward now, and all the way to the end of his life, it seems that Peter is now ready, whatever failures and whatever missteps he's already had, it seems that he's now ready to follow Jesus 
and feed the flock of Jesus and do the best he can to tend the flock and do the best he can to cultivate and do the best he can to be a fisher of men and all of those things. All right, I, uh, you got the wrong guy for the job, but I'll do my best. And he's just about regained his spiritual footing. You ever feel like you've just about regained your spiritual footing and then a wave hits you? Those of you that have ever gone, you know, to the beach and, you know, you just kind of thought, that's the last one. You're not paying attention. You can just get knocked over. And maybe he's still pondering his, uh, his called life as a fisher of men and his called life as an under-shepherd and like, I, how am I going to grow in this? I, I, I want to I do my best for the Lord. But understand that just like being a fisherman, any, any of you ever watched these fishing shows about these guys that fish off the coast of Alaska? And it's like the black of night, and it's like a 40-foot sea, and there's, uh, e- there's icicles hanging off uh, the, the, the boat everywhere, and um, it's not an easy job, is it? Or to be a shepherd in the Middle East where some days are 102, and then it's freezing cold at night, and it's sparse, it's arid, it's dry, there's not a Publix within miles, right? <laughs> None of that kind of stuff. You're, you want milk? You get to milk the sheep. Everything, it's just a hard, rigorous life. And just like being a, a fisherman by trade, I'm not talking about leisure fishing, like, oh, yeah, when I've done my 40 hours a week, I like to go cast the net. I'm talking about a fisherman by trade or a shepherd in the Middle East, just as we know that is tiring and hard work. Being a fisher of men and being a shepherd of peace, people is also hard and tiring work. Moses was a shepherd. As best we can tell, he never asked the Lord to take his life when he was tending sheep. But once he started tending people's sheep, he said, Lord, if I've found favor in your sight, take me home. <laughs> right? He literally prayed that. He, he, he seemed to like his former life as rigorous and hard as it was to be in the backside of Midian tending sheep. But once he had to tend people's sheep, he wanted out. And his sheep never tried to stone him. The people tried to stone him, saying, Moses is not a good leader. One of the greatest leaders the world's ever seen. They came to the determination he was not a good leader. This is how dumb people can be, right? God's like, are you kidding me? I just fortified him to be one of the greatest leaders the world's ever seen, and you guys are ready to stone him. Paul had the same thing. People wanted him dead, and they were added to his afflictions. He even planted the churches. So Peter understands that all this is coming, the spiritual warfare, and people are way more complicated than sheep. You'll never have a sheep say, I need a therapist. You know, never. (laughs) But just as Peter had submitted to his calling, just as he was reset, all right, I'm going to love you the best I can. I'm going to tend the sheep. I'm going to do this. Jesus almost immediately unsettles Peter. Right out of the gate, Jesus hits him with a huge piece of news. Verse 18, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. If I was Jesus, I would never have entered this next part right after the previous part. I said, Jesus, this is way too early to, to tell him this. Jesus tells Peter, and I'm paraphrasing, when you were younger, you went and did as you wanted. You had freedom of movement. But when you're old, Peter, when you become an older man, your hands are going to be outstretched, you'll be girded, and you will be secured and prepared by someone else, and finally you'll be carried against your own desire by someone else. 
And Peter knew right then and there, as did John who was writing. Of course, John wasn't writing at the moment, but he's recording it in his mind. He later will write it with, uh, with, uh, with a pen later. But uh, Peter knew, John knew, that Jesus was saying that when Peter was to become an older man, after years of fishing for souls, after years of tending and shepherding the flock of Jesus, that Peter was going to have to die the same exact death of crucifixion, and Peter is frozen in his tracks, and who can blame him, right? Peter, Peter's like stunned by this. Now verse 19, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God, and when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now John tells us that the future martyrdom of Peter is going to glorify God. When we get to heaven, we'll find out how many people came to Christ because of this. I'm sure it'll be many. Many people were strengthened by Peter's faith uh, to the end. And indeed, uh, God is glorified by the shed, uh, shed blood of his martyrs, which he will avenge. And you read the book of Revelation, which John also writes. Uh, all that will take place eventually. But Peter, in this moment, he's just trying to digest. He's just trying to wrap his mind around what Jesus had just said. I would be myself trying to wrap my mind. How would you, about you if Jesus told you you're going to die of crucifixion at the end of your life? You're not going to just, uh, just slip into uh, you know, a soft sleep. You are going to be crucified at the end of your life to glorify me. But this is one of the big problems as human beings when it comes to surrendering to the will of Jesus. Notice that, uh, because we, we hear the will of Jesus and we, we want to process it and figure it all out, notice that Jesus immediately does not say something here that would, uh, that would indicate he wants Peter to rack his brain and to see how he's going to get ready for this. What does he say? He says this, he gives him this huge piece of news and information. This is how your life's going to end. Follow me. I actually find that settling, that Jesus ignore. I told you it's coming, but right now you just follow me. I think Corrie ten Boone, she used to talk about uh, when, she was a, when she was a child, and uh, she, would, she was petrified that the Nazis were going to come and take their, their family and find out that they were hiding. And eventually they did find out, and they did... And her, her worst nightmare came true because they did come and find out and they did take her family away. But, but her father would always tell her, when you go on the train or the bus, when do I give you the fare? And she says, when it's time to get on it. He says, and when that time comes, God will give us the grace, or I'm paraphrasing, but God will give us what we need in that moment. But you're not to think about the bus fare until that time. That was the advice her father gave her. <clears throat> but... Um, we're not to try and figure out the future, and we're not trying to uh, figure these things out. But Jesus just says, follow me. Don't try and make it make sense. Just follow Jesus. And things that he allows in your life, don't try. There's a lot of things that will not make sense in your life. They will never, you will never be able to make sense of them. You will never be able to say, why would God allow this? It doesn't make any sense. And God's like, my, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Jesus just says, follow me. And then he seems to make it tangible. He doesn't just say, follow me, which would be enough because it's coming from the Lord of the universe. It's more than enough. But Jesus seems to make it tangible from the spiritual to the physical to un 
uh, to help underscore the application in Peter's life. Look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, who had also leaned on his breast and said, uh, at the supper, Lord, is this the one who betrays you? Peter is still just frozen in his tracks. And his immediate response is, he's just blown away. And this is my assessment of this based on what takes place. Because in verse 20 here, Jesus appears, remember Jesus is still physically present with them. He's just fed them breakfast, they just had fish, he just gave them bread, probably the best bread the world's ever seen. They just had this breakfast. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed, ten, feed, my sheep, my flock, my lambs, all of that. And then he gives them this bombshell, you're going to die a death of crucifixion just like I did. You're going to follow me. You're gonna, your feet will have the same bloody footprints as mine did. And Peter is stunned by it. And then Jesus begins to walk. And we don't know where he walks. We know he's walking because John begins to follow him. It tells us very clearly in verse uh, 20 that Peter sees John start to follow Jesus. Jesus appears to begin walking. We don't know if he's walking parallel to the shoreline, if he's walking down the shore of Galilee, or if he's walking away from the shore of Galilee. We don't know. But whatever, John immediately starts to follow him. John's the youngest disciple. John's going to write this book, he's, and John just starts following Jesus. And Peter's still standing there frozen while John's following. It says Peter turned. You can see it in your Bible. And Peter turns and look, and John's following Jesus, and he sees John following Jesus, and he's thinking, well, of course he's following him. He doesn't have my kind of death sentence. I'd be following him too if I... It, he didn't tell this to John. And he even says, he's probably thinking at first, why me? When? When will this happen? And why not John? He's younger. He can handle this. He hung, he hung in there, and there, he was even at the cross. When I bailed, get, let John do He loves stuff like this. <laughs> All the questions that we try and solve and we try and resolve in our minds, the whys and the whens and the wheres, and uh, what is the purpose of this, Lord, and it, it, it's really not helpful to our spirit one bit to wrestle and to workshop all the things we can't understand that God says, I didn't ask you to understand it. I said, follow me. And I find that reassuring because that, that's helped me in my life where I don't understand things and the Lord just said, just follow me. I'm like, that's, that's the best advice I've heard. Don't try and figure it out. The will of God is like that. The Lord does and allows things that are far outside of our understanding. And, and it will actually drive some people from their faith because they can't resolve why and they give up altogether instead of just following Jesus. Now, Peter later is going to do miracles. You guys know that he's later going to heal sick. He's actually going to raise the dead. Not him, but the power of the Holy Spirit. He's, his shadow is going to heal some people. How about that? Incredible things that are going to happen in his life. And he has no ability to do miracles. You realize that Moses can't part Red Seas, right? It wasn't even the staff that did it. It was Moses just stood there and God says, do this, do that, and God parted the Red Sea. Moses could blow on it all he wants, and the Red Sea's not going to part, right? Peter can't raise the dead. Peter can't heal people, but he's eventually going to be given those miracles in his life. And even though he has no ability to do that, 
Peter also has no ability. I want to make this parallel uh, understanding. Just like Peter can't do miracles, the Holy Spirit does the miracles, Peter also has no ability, nor does Corey Ten Boone, nor does any other believer, no ability to be ready for a martyrdom death. No ability to be ready for it. No ability to be ready for the death of crucifixion that waits him about 35 years later with an older man. That Christ will have him ready for that moment, that Christ will ready Peter in the next 35 years to go to his cross and Peter to be so confident, so fearless, that, hey, time out, make sure you all crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified right side up. The fact that he would have that is supernatural power. Amen? Just like Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to raise it up. The resurrection was a miracle, but the fact that Jesus had the power to lay down his life and not smite the earth, which deserved it, was also a miracle. And that Peter would end up having that kind of ability to say, yes, I will lay down my life. That will be a miracle just as much as Peter lays, later raising some of the dead. Peter laying down his life to be crucified as an apostle uh, and to glorify God in, a, in his dying moments. That would also be a miracle. And then God was saying, you don't have to worry about when I pour out that kind of grace and power on you. Right now, follow me, wherever we're going. Capernaum, Nazareth, doesn't matter. You just follow me. Verse 22, then Jesus said to him, because uh, Peter's like, uh, in verse 21, he's like, why, why not John? What about this man? What about John? In verse 22, and Jesus said to him, verse 22 there, if I will, that he remain till I come. What is that to you? Follow me. Um, there's Jesus, and there's all the rest of us. <laughs> Jesus is like, Peter, I'm not going to consult you on what I'm doing. Your job is to follow me. And it's really healthy for us to say, Lord, you're not consulting me today about anything. I'm here to follow you. And he says, what is that to you? I have, I have a, millions of people around the world that are reporting to me and are following me, and I'm taking care of all of their needs one at a time, and I'll take care of your need. You don't have to worry about what I'm doing with John's life. Trust me, I've got a great plan for John. I've got a great plan for Peter. But you follow me. And the key for Peter and all of us is Jesus reiterating that. I just want you to follow me. I've already told you, follow me. And he says it more personally here. He says, you, now he personalizes it, you, Peter, follow me. Just, I know John's following, but, but you, follow me. And not be concerned with how God chooses various paths for other sheep. Peter's peace and Peter's confidence is going to be found in just following Jesus. Brother and sister, those of you watching online, your peace and your confidence will only be found in following Jesus. If it is nitpicking and watching what God's doing to everybody else, you'll never find your peace there. It'll be in following Jesus and keeping your eyes on Jesus. Fixed on Him, not on fixed on figuring everything out. Now, I admit, my wife will tell you, I'm illogical, rational, I like to figure and fix things. Anyone else like that like in this room? Like, you give me almost any scenario, and I want to workshop it from all angles. And God has to kind of take me out of that. That's my natural inclination. He says, don't do that. Fix your eyes on me. 
which calms the soul. And actually, it's counterintuitive. We would think that, uh, that advice like this, just follow me, wouldn't resolve all these issues. But actually, it does. It just undercuts them all. And Jesus says, I don't want you carrying any of them. Just follow me. What about this? Will I be here? Will I be here? Follow me. You know, we see in the Old Testament, this was, Abraham had to go through this, right? You know, like, uh, I'm going to take you to another country. Where? You've never been there. Where is it? I'm not telling you. Uh, when are we gonna, uh, we're going to have a child? How? You know how old we are? All this goes on and on and on. And Abraham doesn't grow until he says, I don't ask any questions anymore. Lord, what would you have me to do kind of thing, right? I'm just paraphrasing again his life there. And it's, it, it plays out again and again and again in the scriptures. And here it is in Peter's life. You see, God will be God in all the lives of his sheep. He's not going to do things exactly the same way in every one of our lives. Uh, and it's not at all beneficial for us to be focused on how he's doing other things. Well, why are you not doing in John the way you're doing in me? And why don't you give this to John? He's more equipped for that. Whatever it may be, it's not beneficial for us to scrutinize how God is doing things in the lives of other believers. But we can rejoice at what he's doing to other believers. We can rejoice that he has a plan for John, that he has a plan for Philip, that he has a plan for Thomas, that he has a plan for you and me and everyone else in this room. Uh, but to wonder and to complain and to suggest to God, this is how I think it should go, that's not, Jesus says, that's not your concern. It's not your concern. I did not choose to be born February 1st, 1969. That was no more my concern than what he's going to do tomorrow. That's just what God does. And Jesus says, you just follow me. Verse 23, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? The disciples, they misunderstood what Jesus said. What they really missed was the word if. If. You can circle that in your Bible. He said, if I will. He didn't say, I will that he remain. He said, if I will that he remain, what is that to you? And although John um, is the youngest disciple here, and John will end up outliving all the other disciples. He'll live the longest life, uh, we believe, probably right to 100 but he'll outlive all the other disciples, and it may be very well that Jesus is alluding to some of the fact that some of the call on John's life is unique in his longevity and things that he's going to do in John. He says, what, if, what is it to you if I will that he remain? But he's not saying what, what Peter thought was that meant that John would never die a human death, and when Jesus comes, either for the rapture of the church or the second coming, that that would be John's life, and he would never taste physical death, that he would be waiting for the Lord, and Lord, but the rest of them would have to taste physical death. And Peter, obviously, not just physical death, but crucifixion. But he thought that, uh, Peter thought that John would remain, and the other dis uh, disciples thought the same thing. They thought John would not taste death. Um, but that's not the case. And by the way, in my own life, this doesn't apply to Jesus. When he says, if, he's truly saying, all these different scenarios I could do, and he doesn't enumerate them, I'm simply saying, what is it to you if I will that he remain? But he could have said, if I will to do this, if I send him here, if he does this many years, all those things are under the purview of Jesus. But I just, just as a disclaimer, when I hear my own peer group of humanity say if, I generally think, 
It's probably not going to happen. You say, hey, we're going to come over if we have time. Not happening. <laughs> if we can make it, we'll be there. Not coming. You know, I, but I, that's just, just a disclaimer there. So um, we don't have to use that term. But Jesus, he obviously means it in a, in a very specific way. Say, you know, you need to understand, if I will, these things are going to go exactly the way I've decided. Um, but really cool thing about John, I think Jesus, there is something prophetic. Obviously, Jesus is prophesying about the end of Peter's life. He's saying, you're going to die this way. And he doesn't say specifically that John is going to be alive when Jesus comes. But he said, what, if, what is it to you if I will that he remains till I come? But, you know, interesting enough, everything Jesus said here actually happens with John, but differently than they thought. Did you know when John is, well, first of all, the Romans do try and kill John. They try and boil him in oil, and he miraculously doesn't burn. So he's like, he has his own Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment where they try and boil him in oil, and like, well, that didn't work. Put him on the Isle of Patmos and let him just be there all by himself. And, and then who comes down and meets him on the Spirit of the Lord's Day? Jesus. And he turns and he falls at the feet of Jesus like a dead man. So literally, even though it's not the way they envisioned it, Jesus does come to John before John dies on the Isle of Patmos and just doesn't come to him. Then he sends his angels and gives them the entire book of Revelation and lands that in his lap. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But another note here, I've mentioned before, uh, if the apostles, now they got this wrong, they all thought that Jesus was saying, not only did they think that John was not going to die, but all of them were going to die, and all of them did die. They all died martyrs' death with the exception of John. But they thought, for sure, that so, they were so positive that John wasn't going to die, they started telling other believers that John wasn't going to die. Look what it says. Then this saying went out among the brethren that, the disciples, that, that this disciple would not die, yet Jesus did not say that he would not die, but what if he will, that I, if I, he remain till I come. So they started to tell other disciples, oh, by the way, Peter's, don't talk to Peter about his death. He doesn't want to talk about it, but... Um, <laughs> He actually was told specifically, the rest of us don't know, and we don't want to know, but John's not going to die. And it wasn't the case. John was going to die. He just was going to die as an old man, uh, and he wasn't going to die a martyr's death. But, uh, but if, if, the, the, if the apostles got something wrong, that they literally, we're talking about the apostles. These guys have gone, uh, several of them, to write parts of the New Testament. If they got wrong what Jesus said to them in person, you can better believe we can get something wrong sometimes when we read and misinterpret what is being said. We can misinterpret things at times. But it doesn't make everything wrong. I mean, it doesn't, everything that we get wrong at times doesn't make it a false teaching. You can get something wrong and it not be a false teaching. Then you can have something that actually is a false teaching. In other words, it, it wasn't false to say, hey, John's not going to die. They were just wrong. It, so it wouldn't be false to say, um, I believe the rapture is in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. Someone else says, I believe the rapture is at the beginning of the tribulation. Uh, God might say, you're both wrong. Now, I really do believe it's at the beginning of the, uh, the tribulation. I'll tell you, I mean, I can give you my reasons why. Uh, but I don't, I'm not dogmatic that someone who doesn't believe that is teaching something false. They're not, that's not a false teaching. Uh, it wouldn't be false to say, um, hey, Peter, it wouldn't be false for them to say, John's not going to die. It would be false for them to say, John is now taken over and he's more important than Jesus. That would be a false teaching. Right. 
Do you see the difference? But to say John's not going to die, they just got that wrong. But to say John has now replaced Jesus, don't worship Jesus, worship John, that's false teaching. And so that just to kind of clarify that we can get something wrong, but just because another believer gets something wrong doesn't mean it's false. It just means they have a... You just pat, you know, you'll, you'll get it right someday. Anyway, you, just, you follow me. But <laughs> All right, last, uh, last uh, two verses here. Verse 24... Uh, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. This verse is a summation of what John has said and why he's written the previous 21 chapters. Uh, He was prompted and led by the Holy Spirit to write the eyewitness account of everything from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 21 including things that were only seen by John. I mean, we talked about this before. Like John was the only one that saw the, the middle-of-the-night trial of Jesus in front of Caiaphas and Annas. Remember, Peter was outside by the fire of coals, but because John knew the high priest and their families were friends, the high priest allowed John to come in. If John isn't in there, we don't have that eyewitness account. So there were some things that only John witnessed, and then John would re- record those. Uh, as the fourth and final gospel and the truth of what God had did and said in his life. And we understand that not only would John write the book of John, but he'd go on to write the book of First John, Second John, Third John, and finally there on Alapatmos, the book of Revelation, where he witnesses the future as if it was the past. Isn't that amazing? John watches the future like, it, like we watch a TV show, like it already took place. And I think it's interesting when you look at Peter's life and you look at John's life, and here they are side by side. This is what William Barclay had to say. He said, Paul might be the pioneer of Christ, and Peter might be the shepherd of Christ, but John was the witness of Christ. Uh, God, God gave John this special quill in his hand to say, you are going to record the fourth and final witness of the gospel. You are going to write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You're going to write the book of Revelation and things that no one has ever been told in the history of humanity, you're going to write them down. Now, some of them were told in the book of Daniel and other places, but some of them were brand new. And John was going to be the witness for this purpose. But everything that John would write in the book of John, and of course, everywhere else that he would write in the scriptures, unlike this world, which lies about something every day, right? Every day there's a new lie on TV, there's a new lie coming from the media, there's a new lie, government officials, whatever, but, but not what John writes. Every word is 100% true. In this 24th verse, it interlocks with what John had written one chapter earlier related to Jesus' death and resurrection when he said in John chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Nobody can respond to the truth unless they hear and know the truth. They have to believe it is truth. They have to hear the truth. That's why we have to present the word of God. Uh, yesterday, I want to thank you know, Mark and the team. We got a chance to go out and we we're at Rockwood Park just talking to people. And uh, I hadn't been, hadn't been able to go in a while. It was good just to, just to invite people to church, invite them to hear the word of God talk to people, but whether we're doing it here or out there, they have to hear the truth and know that it's truth. Now, we know it's true, and John knows it's true, but that doesn't mean that people believe. But John says, look, I know what I'm writing is true, and I know it can change uh, a life. And here in this beautiful and comprehensive book, we have the truth that can save lives. And with the entire 21 chapters he has written, 
there's this everlasting, never-changing, but life-changing gospel that rises like Mount Everest. And the third chapter, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says this famous words of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he... He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That verse, John, is the only one that writes that verse. You don't don't see that verse in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, but that was given to him to write, and it just rises up above the clouds. Like that, that entire verse is a summation of the power of the gospel and the simplicity of the gospel. Amen? The power and the simplicity. And that everything God does is simple enough that a child can understand it, but powerful enough to change anyone's life, whether they're demonically possessed, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Hindu, doesn't matter. Just bargain, basement, hedonism doesn't matter. God can change. But we have to come to believe the truth, right? I mean, what, what's written is true, but the person has to believe that it's true. And to do so is to personally come, once you believe in Jesus, and you come to believe that his testimony is true, and you come to believe that he is the only way to be saved, then the seven I am statements also recorded by John become not only gateways of knowing Christ, but they may become the way you relate to Christ the rest of your life. In other words, I came to Christ through the doorway of salvation. He is the door, right? I am the door. I came to Christ through the door, and he found me as a lost sheep. But guess what? He's my shepherd the rest of my life. It wasn't like a one-time shepherding thing. That's now him leading me and guiding me and you too the rest of your life. So all these I am statements become the way we meditate on the Lord. Think about Christ. Oh yeah, he's my living bread today. I don't have to figure everything out. I don't have to resolve every problem and every issue. I just need to follow Jesus who's the good shepherd. He's my living bread today. Oh, we don't have enough to eat? I still have spiritual food. All of these things become our life. And then finally we have this last and final verse, verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. You know, when you take verse 24 and 25, you think about all the different books that, you know, uh, there's a lot of books in the world, and you can go to the library and and I was telling uh, the first service, I've tried to explain this to young people. I'm like, when we had to go to the library, there was a gigantic wooden desk-looking thing, and it had you had to pull out, uh, and you'd have to find these numbers, and somewhere in this five-story library is that book. And the librarian wouldn't even tell you how to use the thing. You had to figure it out. And you had microfiche, and you had all these things, and, and now they just, eh, Google said, you know, the, and just answer it like that. We, now, we knew that our book was somewhere in there, but all the books that have ever been written couldn't even remotely contain what Jesus did. And this 25th verse, uh, I want to put this up from William McDonald. He had this to say about the 25th verse, the fact that all the books that ever been written couldn't, possibly contain. He says, we have no fear in taking, verse 25, literally. Jesus is God and therefore infinite. There is no limit to the meaning of his words or the number of his works. While he was here on earth, he was still the upholder of all things, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Who could ever describe all that is involved in keeping the universe in motion? Even in his miracles on earth, we have only the barest description 
And a simple act of healing, think of the nerves, the muscles, the blood corpuscles, and other members that he controlled. Think of his direction of germs and fishes and animal life. Think of his guidance in the affairs of men. Think of his control over the atomic structure and every bit of matter in the universe. Could the world itself can possibly contain the books to describe such infinite details? The answer is an emphatic no. It can't. The infinite power, everything, not just his life and miracles, but all that he upholds in the word of his power. It is impossible to record or comprehend all that Jesus is, all that he said, all that he did. But John, by the Spirit, wrote and recorded more than enough. Amen? More than enough for us to what? Believe and to receive and to follow Jesus and to walk in his will. More than enough to say, Lord, I can follow you and I accept your will for my life. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again that your word is more than enough. Your testimony, your witness is more than enough. And Lord, as Peter began to understand that he was just to follow you, he no longer fixated on a dreadful cross, but he fixated on a beautiful Savior. And Lord, he became able to do both the miracles that you would place in his life, but also miraculously lay down his life because he was no longer led uh, by fear, which the whole reason he denied you, Lord, was, was fear of the cross. But Lord, he then followed you in love. And Lord, just accepting the will of God and believing that, Lord, that uh, your will is perfect. Uh, it has that calming effect as we follow you as sheep hearing the voice of the shepherd. And we just thank you, Lord, for these 21 chapters. We thank you for the time we've had in the book of John. We thank you for the life-changing power we've read. And we pray that it has, continues to have um, an overflow, a uh, magnified work in our lives individually as we go forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand as we close in worship? shepherd the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want in green pastures he makes me lie down he restores my soul and leads me on for his name his great name surely goodness surely mercy right beside me all my days and I will dwell in your house forever and of my enemies though the arrow flies and the terror
light is at my door I'll trust you Lord Surely goodness Surely mercy Right beside me all my days And I will dwell in your house forever And bless your holy name Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of Surely goodness, surely mercy, right beside me all my days, and I will dwell in your house forever, and bless your home. Peter and John were uh, with Jesus there. The, none of the New Testament was written. You guys know that they only had Genesis. Well, not only because it was you, still the way bigger part of your Bible, but they had Genesis and Malachi, what's called the Tanakh and, and the Hebrew. And uh, you think that Peter started to think of Psalm 23 a little differently after he started following Jesus, and Jesus tells him, "I'm your shepherd, and I am your good shepherd." And he tells him about his death. Then the valley of the shadow, all these that we were just singing, those words would mean incredibly more to Peter and would carry him because he'd remember not only was what was written by David in the 23rd Psalm about his Messiah, but he had been called into the same death as Messiah, and yet his Messiah was his shepherd and his lamb all at the same time. And that's just a little tiny bit of uh, what we've been talking about. We'll see in the Seder and all these things, but... Uh, but I'm sure that these things comforted Peter, and uh, I, I cannot, I can't fathom uh, what he got. You know, we give Peter a hard time, but boy, he came to love Jesus, didn't he? Yes, yeah. <clears throat> I'll say this: um, it's not just words on the page to me. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yes. Hallelujah. All right, Lord. <laughs> um, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a shepherd. <laughs> and Lord, we know that uh, you'll lead us wherever you have planned for each person in this room. Yes, it's not our job to figure it out. Yes, 
or examine why you did what you did, but Lord, just to follow you. Lord, may we be sheep that follow your voice, and may we be able to say increasingly so, when you say, do you love me, we will be able to say, yes, Lord, we love you. And moving more from phileo to agape. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, by the way, if you're interested in Israel, Uganda, Guatemala, or Italy, please meet over here, and I want to talk to everybody that's interested. Have a blessed day.